Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. So now we got our now that we got our uh, Play-Doh dumped out, uh, we're going to get into our lesson. It's you know obviously we have fun, but it's not all fun and games. We get serious. But in this Play-Doh lesson, whew, what we're talking about is we're talking about how um, in First Timothy chapter four verse twelve. This verse says, don't, anyone look, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, conduct, love, faith, and impurity. We learned this word for example in the Greek. Anybody remember what the name, the, what the word was? In, that's, not, that's not it, actually. Um, what the word was in Greek. It starts with a T. It starts with a T. And, oh, was that? Was it? Okay, I, I thought, I, <laughs> okay I, thought, I thought so. I thought that was Korah. Tipo, remember tipo, tipo, tipo? Um, and this word is the same word that's used to describe um, the impressions that were left in Jesus' wrists, Jesus' hands when he was nailed to the cross. So we're supposed to be an impression of the believers on those who we meet in four, or excuse me, five different areas, in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. So last week, we talked about speech. And it was kind of, uh, it was kind of one of those that I think we all kind of had room to improve in our, in, the, in our speech, the way that we talk to each other, and the way we talk about people. Um, tonight, what we're going to talk about um, is the area of our conduct, so we're going to go to the next one. But remember why we're talking about this. We asked ourselves two questions, because remember, you leave an impression on everyone you meet, um, and uh, what is the impression that you're leaving? The first question is, are we leaving the wrong impression? The second um, question is, are we even leaving an impression at all? I gave you a number two weeks ago, and the number was 18,318. Does anybody remember what that number signified? Will? Yeah, you got it. The number of students, high school and middle school students, who are not connected to a church and who who don't believe in Jesus. So how are we going to reach them? There's like 70 to 80 of us. And what I, we talked about was, I've, I can't be a youth pastor to 80 people. What we need is 80 people who will be a youth pastor to the 813, excuse me, 18,813 people who don't know Jesus. I'm going to tell you one, one thing about being a pastor that I've learned is, people are always wanting you to give a sermon or give some kind of talk. Um, well, if you're going to be a youth pastor to the students who are unsaved, you've got to preach a sermon. Now, what I'm not asking you to do is, maybe some of you, you could do this, and that'd be great. What I'm not asking you to do is open the Bible and necessarily, like, come up with a lesson and get in front of people and say, this is what God says. I'm not asking you to preach a sermon like we understand a sermon to be. What I'm asking you to do is to preach one of the most powerful sermons that could ever be preached by a teenager, and it's preach the sermon by the way that you live your life. We're talking about conduct, and in this 1 Timothy 4.12, there is a word that we get that is translated into conduct, and it's this word. I actually spelled it out with, like, the Greek characters, but it's pronounced anastrophe. Anastrophe. Um, So, what does that mean? Well, it means, what you see here, manner of life or a recurring behavior. So, when it's talking about conduct, it's talking about the way that you live your life. So, what this verse is saying is you should make an impression on other people, not just with the words you use, but with the way that you live your life because people are watching, people are watching your life. So your lifestyle matters. Have you ever been turned off or almost turned off to Jesus and Christianity by the way that you've seen another Christian live? 
Somebody who's been totally hypocritical. Somebody who said they love Jesus or somebody who prides themselves on being a Christian or attending church and then they live a certain way where they do a certain thing to you and you're like, if that's what being a Christian means, like I don't want any part of it. But maybe on the flip side, maybe you know someone who is such an inspiration to you because they've lived like a legit life. They've lived a real life for Christ. They haven't been perfect, but they, they've lived a life that is so much like Jesus and so such a good Christian life that you're like, you know what, I'd like to be like that person. And I, they, they make me want to study my Bible more and they make me want to make the right decisions. So we can either be turned, you've probably experienced this, I've experienced this, you can either be turned off or turned on to the faith by the way that Christians live their life. Um, so, so it's important. Your lifestyle matters. So if you have your Bible, um, we're going to kind of pick up where we left off in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, so turn to Ephesians 4, and what we're going to do is we're going to go like 50 bajillion miles an hour through a list in Ephesians 4. Um, in Ephesians 4, what it's doing is it's talking about... Um, it's talking about the difference that faith will make in your life and the difference that faith in Jesus will make in your life. And remember, I asked you two weeks ago if you would be willing to let God transform you. Remember had the whole thing about, like, if I throw, I'm going to do it again just for fun, if I throw Play-Doh against the wall, remember the whole passive versus active thing? If I hurl this Play-Doh, oh, shoot. Oh, if... If I, throw, if I throw that Play-Doh against the roof, <laughs> that's why I don't play baseball. Um, if, if I threw that Play-Doh against the roof, I could say it two ways. Matt threw the Play-Doh, or the Play-Doh was thrown by Matt. The Play-Doh was thrown by Matt. Even though the Play-Doh is a subject, it's what? It's in the passive tense. The Play-Doh didn't throw itself. It needed a force acting on it to hurl it against a rafter and split into a million pieces. When we're saying you need to live a life that's pleasing to God and you need to transform your life, we, tra we are transformed in the passive sense to where we put ourselves in a place where God can take us and he can mold us into what we, he would have us to become. This Plato is being molded by me. It's not molding itself. So we're letting God mold us. And when we let God mold us, in Ephesians 4, there's this list of things that happen in your life when you let God mold you. We talked about one last week, which was the way that you talk, Ephesians 4.29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But that's one in this huge list of things. So like I said, 50 bajillion miles an hour, we're going to rush through this list. And then we're going to talk about why it's so important that we, that we live this way and let God transform us. The first way he transforms us is that we go from being separated from God to knowing God. Um, that's in Ephesians chapter 8, um, or excuse me, 4, verse 18. Ephesians 4, 18, it says, They, meaning people who don't know Christ, are darkened in their understanding and separated from God. When you put your faith in Jesus, that separation from God, this is a famous painting of Da Vinci, or from Da Vinci, of how, people, how mankind is like so close to God but yet can't, can't reach him, when you put your faith in Jesus, you can reach God and you can access God. Um, the next thing that the difference faith makes, the transformation that happens is your heart goes from being a hard heart to being a soft heart. Um, I think Zach Brown Band sings a song called Cold Hearted. Um, you go from having a cold, dead, hard heart and being hard hearted towards people, hard hearted towards God, and God softens your heart. By the way, guys, having a soft heart does not make you any less manly. Um, you, you, it, it takes 10 times more, um, more strength 
um, to allow your heart to be soft and responsive towards people than to just build a wall. That's the easy way out. No offense to Donald Trump, that was not a political statement. Um, the next, the next uh, transformation that, G, that, that your faith in Jesus will make, um, you go from being greedy to being generous. I put it, who, who can tell me who's, who's, who's on the screen, sports fans? Odell Beckham. Why would I put him by greed? Anybody know? He still, I don't believe, has played a game in the preseason because he's holding out, his, it's his contract extension, and he's holding out, he said he won't play until he is the highest played player Highest, <laughs> he is the highest played player. He's the highest paid player in the NFL, so he's waiting. And he, he, he and out of his pride, you know, and out of his greed, he wants to make more money than, you know, Peyton Manning made or more, you know, more money than any of these, like, all-star quarterbacks made. So we go from being greedy to being generous. We see that in verse 19. Um, it says, having lost all sensitivity. This is talking about people who don't believe in God. They have given themselves over to sensuality and indulge in any, every kind of impurity. They're also full of greed. So God makes, takes us from being greedy. Our life is transformed and we're generous. It's no longer how much can I get, it's how much can I give. Um, the next thing we see is, it's also in verse 19, we go from being sensual to being pure. Probably know why I have that picture up there. Um, but it says, having lost all sensitivity, they gave themselves over to sensuality. Before you... Be, be, before, when, before you let Christ transform your mind and transform your heart and transform your life, you are, it's, it's partially, it's a sexual thing, but it's also just a lust thing. Anything you can do to make yourself feel better, you try to do it, but then when you let God transform your mind, you're, no, you're not quite as concerned, you're not as concerned about feeling good and pleasing yourself as you are about, feeling, as, as you are about um, pleasing God. So you go from sensual to sensuality to purity, being sensual, being pure. Um, verse 25, we go... God transforms us from falsehood to truth. Uh, verse 25, it says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. I just put up a picture of politicians, you know, because, you know, presidents, because, yeah, we all know politicians. They're kind of famous for maybe not always telling the truth. But I thought, if we're going to put up a picture of politicians, what would politicians look like with man buns? I think we can all agree that uh, George W. Bush is a baller um, with that hairstyle. I think he needs to adapt that. Um, but we go from lying, we go from untruth to truthful. That's another transformation is that we go from rage, we go from rage to righteous anger. I've got this picture up here. There's a lot of, you could, we could all probably agree, there's a lot of rage and a lot of anger going on in our country. And the Bible actually does not say that we're supposed to not be angry, um, but it says we're supposed to control our anger and be righteous. Um, verse 26 of this passage, it says, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. So we, tra we, we trade rage, which is something we always let boil up inside us, and we hold on to it for righteous anger. You know it's okay to be angry as a Christian, but you're not supposed to dwell on it. When I read that 50 million babies have been aborted in the U.S., you know what? I'm angry. And I believe that's a righteous anger. It's an anger that leads you to do something about it. But it's not something we allow to fester in our, in our hearts. So we go from rage to righteous anger. Uh, verse 28, we go from theft or thieving or stealing, theft to useful work. This guy just is kind of funny. Um, we go from theft to useful work. Verse 28, it says, um, um, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands. So we go from taking from people. It's kind of like the greed thing. We go from taking from people 
to giving to people. Um, so that, that, that's a transformation that happens in our lives. We go from perverse speech to encouraging speech. That's what we learned last week in, in verse 29. It says, don't let any wholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others according to their needs. So it changes the way that we talk. Um, you know, we're no longer using vulgar words. We're no longer using words that are sexual in nature. We're lo- no longer using our words to tear people down, but we're using our words to build people up. That's something that happens as you allow God to transform you. Um, we go from verse 31, bitterness to forgiveness. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander. So we go from, we go from this bitterness to holding on to something that someone has done and kind of like treating our grudge kind of like a pet that we feed and we take care of. We go from that to forgiving people, not so we can let people off the hook. We can let people off the hook. They're still on the hook with God. But it's, it's a transformative thing that God does in our hearts that we're no longer in prison to bitterness and in prison to grudges, but we can live freely. That's in verse 31. Also in verse 31 it says, um, it says get rid of all rage, anger, and brawling. So we go from having a fighting spirit um, a la McGregor and Mayweather, uh, you know, it's a hundred, you have to pay a hundred dollars to watch this fight. Isn't that crazy? You know, this is like the fight of the century, and you have to pay a hundred dollars to watch these two guys beat each other up. It's like, I could go to Cabell Middle and watch people beat each other up for free. Um, but, um, but, <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, we go from brawling, having a spirit to where we're just like, hit me, bro, come on. We, we go from a spirit of always being kind of ready, not just for a physical fight, but a verbal fight. We go from that to having a spirit of kindness and actually trying to be kind towards people. Um, we, have, uh, we go from following the world's example to following God's example. Um, chat, we're into chapter 5 now. Chapter 5, verse 1, it says, follow God's example, therefore, and walk in the way of love. So we go from doing what we see on TV, doing what we see other people see, to doing what we know God has called us to do. The final transformative thing in verse 2 of chapter 5, it says, walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering for us. So we go from selfishness, it's all about me, to sacrifice, it's all about you. It's all about what I can do for God and what I can do for others. So do you see how the Christian life isn't just about saying a prayer, getting your get-out-of-hell-free card punched, and live in however the world you want to for the rest of your life because you know you're cool to go to heaven. It's a, Christianity is not, just about, it's not just about something you do when you're a kid and you're done with it. It's something that God is always transforming you throughout your life. But here's kind of where the rubber meets the road with our Plato series and being an impression and in being an example. Is, and here's the thing that I'm concerned about is that when we don't, put ourselves in a place where we let God transform us, first off, it hurts our relationship with God. Secondly, it hurts our walk with God. But there's a third issue that concerns me. When we don't allow God to transform our life, the impression that we leave on others of God is not good. Now, I will tell you this. My little girl, Addison, has Play-Doh. And um, if you were to look at a lot of her Play-Doh buckets like these this is what it looks like maybe you did this when you were a kid maybe you still do this if you're a perfectionist this drives you crazy right but when play-doh <laughs> when play-doh starts getting mixed together and it just gets mixed and it gets this is what kids do and it will drive you crazy won't it? But here, here's, where, here's, where, 
here's where, here's where, listen, listen, look at this, look at this. I've got a point to this. This is where God transforming our lives, and this is where the way in which we live is so important. Because here's what we, listen, listen, here's what we would like to do, and here's how we think of things. This is your relationship with God. This is your relationship with God. This is what you do when you're at church. This is the pictures of your Bible that you post on Instagram. This is the mission trip that you went on. This is the VBS that you worked. And this is the time you were baptized and that you were saved. This is when you hang out with your Christian friends. And then this is the rest of your life. This is the you at school. This is the you with your boyfriend and This is the you when you're talking to your parents. This is the you when it's just you and your phone in your bedroom. This is the you that you aren't at church. And this is the you that you are other places. And here's what we do. We've got our faith, and this is our faith. And what we do is we put our faith. Is there any here? This will work. Whoever uses this. Next, better be careful. You may slide off it. It's going to be a little greasy. And we put our faith right here and we say, this is my faith. I know exactly where it is. I don't have to worry about where it is because it's on this seat. So I'm going to put my faith right here and I can go back to it. But right now, I want to spend some time with my friends. You know, right now, I want to look at that on the internet. Right now, I want to totally blast my parents because they're annoying me to death. Right now, I want to go blow somebody up on Twitter because I don't like them, because they did something that ticked me off. And I'm going to do this, and I'm going to kind of have this little pet sin here, or I'm going to have this little part that's, it's not Christian, but it's okay because I know where my faith is. And when it's time to go to church, I'm going to set this down. I'm going to go pick up my faith. I'm going to take my faith to church. And be like, Drew, do you see my faith? What do you think about it? It's nice, isn't it? You know, I've got a pretty faith. I mean, ain't nobody got a prettier faith than me. But then after Wednesday night, we go to bed. We set our faith on our nightstand. Now it's time to go to school. And we're this way. And we think we can do this. And by the way, this happens after high school too. Um, some of you, after high school, you're going to be tempted to be like this. I'm going to set my faith right here. I know where it is. I'll come back to it in four years but I really want to experience all that college has to offer. Um, but we think we can do this. We think we can keep our faith separate from the rest of our life. And we think we can do that. But you know what other people see? They see the fact that you're posting Bible verses on Instagram, and then they see the fact that you were at the same party with them a week ago. They see the fact you go to church every Sunday morning. They also see the fact that you slander people at school. You see where I'm going with this? They see that you went on a mission trip and took pictures with a bunch of orphans. And then they saw the pictures that you posted on Snapchat. You see what I mean? We think we can have two lives. And we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we can have two lives. 
But first off, there ain't no fool in God. And secondly, people don't see the compartments of our life. They just see our life. And you know what's interesting about when you, when you mix this up, and maybe this is a better example here, when you mix this up and you mix these two colors of Play-Doh up, what happens? What happens? Andrew, can you separate out all the orange for me? <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, man, I made you drop your Bible. <laughs> That's a terrible youth pastor thing to do, trade Play-Doh for Bible. Can you separate the orange? You can't, can you? You can't. You can't. At this point, you can't separate the orange from the blue. Just like you can't separate your faith from your life. Because if your faith doesn't change the way that you live your life, and I want to say this as carefully as I can, if your faith isn't changing your life, I think you need to look at your faith again, and I think you need to re-examine your faith again. And that's not just my opinion, that's the Bible's opinion. Jesus says that we should examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. So do you see why this is important? You may have yourself fooled into thinking that your faith is here and the rest of your life is here, but this is what people see. They see it all. They see it all. So why should we be an impression of the believer with our conduct? Here's why. It's because people are watching us. There are five people that we can see in the Bible that are watching us. And here's, here's where we came up with this list of people. In 1 Timothy, that word anastrophe, that means conduct, it appears five other times in the Bible. And you know what's so interesting about the five other times? The five other times it appears in the Bible? All of those five times have to do with other people looking at us. So these are going to be on the notes, on the app. But if you want to turn with me, we're going to look at these five other places where they appear and just kind of hit them real short um, one at a time. And the first place that it appears is in Hebrews 13, 7. And here's what it says. Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from the lot, their lives and follow the example of their faith. What this verse is saying is you should look up to people who are older than you and follow the example of their faith. You know why that's so important and why, why, um, why the writer of Hebrews is telling the Christians to do that is because he knows we naturally do that. Think about when you were a fresh, if you, all you high schoolers, when you were a freshman in high school. If you're a middle schooler, think about when you were a sixth grader. If you're a sixth grader, think about where you are right now. <laughs> Thank you, Kate. I'm glad you're with me. Um, think about this. Think about this. There was probably somebody that you were looking up to when you were a freshman. And you're like, man, that guy's. You're like, man, that guy's buff. You're like, that guy, he, he's, he plays football. He's got a girlfriend. He's got a lifted F-250. I want to be like that guy. You know, we lo naturally look up to people that are older than us. But here's what we never think about, that there are people who are younger than, younger than us that are looking up to us. Do you think because you're a sixth grader, nobody's looking up to you? Do you think, you think nobody's looking up to you? You know what's crazy is I've, I haven't had this recently, but I've had people who are younger than me that I went to school with, and I will see them out somewhere. They'd be like, hey, Matt, how are you? And I'm like, hey, I don't remember. You, you ever run into somebody, you don't know who they are? They're like, hey. I'm like, I 
don't remember you. <laughs> you know, I try to say it politely. They're like, oh, yeah, I went to Grace, too, and I was, you know, I was a couple years younger than you. And by, by the way, I went to a really small school, but I didn't remember them because they were younger than me. You know, they were just, not to be mean, but they were just little peons. I didn't think about them. Um, but peon is a word. It's not a bad word. doesn't mean, never mind. Um, I'm going to have to lower my vocabulary a little bit here. But um, I, did, I had no idea who this person was. But they remembered me, they remembered my, they remembered my friends, they remembered that me and my friends used to have crazy campouts and stuff. Like, they knew a lot about me, and I knew nothing about them. And so, don't think that people aren't looking up to you. Don't think that people aren't looking at your life and seeing how you live, and don't think that they won't try to be like you. See, we all think, man, nobody's going to look up to me like I'm a... I'm just a loser. Like, nobody cares about me. Nobody, somebody's looking up to you. I can guarantee it. So what example are we setting, especially you older high schoolers, what example are you setting for people who are younger than you? You may, you may not want that job. You may not want that responsibility, but you don't really have a choice in it, and I don't really have a choice in it. So let's point people to Jesus. Younger people are watching me. We got we to gotta talk about this one. God is watching me. Um, turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1, 5. Uh, we learn this is that, the same word here. Um, it says in 1 Peter, 5, um, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 1. There's no 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter chapter 1, um, verse 15, it says, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. That word, all you do, anastrophe, that's where we get that from. In all you do, for it's written, be holy because I am holy. Our first priority and our first motivation isn't just to be holy and isn't just to live right and let God transform us so that other people can see us. The reason we want to let God transform us is so we can please God. If if we just try to be good Christians so other people can notice us, yeah, first off, that's pride. And secondly, that sets you up to be a people pleaser. And if you've ever been trapped in the prison of people pleasing like I am, that is a prison you never want to get at, you never want to get into, you never want to get back into. So we do this because God is watching us. We do this because we want to please God. And you know, we think that we can be like, I'm going to do this one more time. <laughs> we think we can be like this. When we're talking to God and like this, the way we live their life. You know that when you disconnect from prayer, you don't disconnect from God? Sit down, sit down. You know, you know that when you disconnect from prayer, you don't disconnect from God? Do you know that when you shut your Bible, that God doesn't stop watching you? You think you can do this with God. Really, the only person you can do this with is yourself and what you'll realize is it will affect you. God sees it too. God sees all. God God is watching, and some, you know, it's so sad that we think we can appease God by showing up to church on Sunday morning, put a little money in the offering. This is, this is the American, this is American Christianity. Show, we feel guilty, so we show up at church, put a little money in the offering plate, do a couple Hail Marys, whatever our liturgy is, and that's all good. We confess our sins. Hey, we're good for the week. We forget that God is with us Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I sound like the Godfather. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. God is still with us, and God is still watching us. So we, let God, we, we allow ourselves to be transformed because God is watching us. Um, the third reason, we, let, we allow God to transform us because unbelievers are watching us. We're, we're in 1 Peter for the rest of the time here. Probably turn like maybe one page over, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. 
Listen to this. Read this. Actually, back up to verse 11. Read this. It says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, abstain from sinful desires which wage war on your soul. Don't be like everybody else. Live pure, live holy. And then it says in verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans or among the unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. When we live differently, people notice. When we live differently, people notice. Notice it. I wrote this down. I wanted to make sure I said it right. The unsaved world will never hear the truth from our lips unless they first see the truth of Christ in our lives. It's always, you, you have to tell people about Jesus. You have to open up the Bible. But here's the problem. We got a lot of Christians who are opening their Bible and telling people about Jesus and inviting people to Jesus, but their lives are pushing people away from Jesus. I think I've said this two weeks in a row. I'll say it again from DC Talk. The greatest cause of atheism in the world is Christians who acknowledge Christ with their lips and deny him with their lifestyle. That's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. I'm, I'm encouraged to know that there are probably some of you here tonight because somebody invited you and because somebody reached out to you, and that's great. But my other concern, the reverse concern of that is, are there people that won't come tonight or that aren't here tonight because of the way that we've lived our lives in front of them? Because Christians are supposed to be Christ-like and Christians are supposed to be holy, but some of us go to the same places everybody else does, drink the same things everybody else does, get involved in the same kind of relationships that other people do, and there's no difference. This verse is so incredible. It says that even if people don't believe what you believe, you know, a lot of you tell me about the, the atheists that are in your school that you try to talk to and you try to talk to about Jesus. You can talk all you want, but you know what I've learned? You can talk all you want, but you best back it up with the way you live or they're not going to care what you have to say. So the unbelievers are watching me. Um, the next one, we won't hit this one very long because this is a, this is a, this is a a painful one. My family is watching me. Um, if you've ever Googled awkward family photos, there's some doozies out there. This is the one I chose. Um, but here's the, our family are the hardest to reach because they know us the best. You know, some of you girls, you got a date, so you know, you, you, you paint the mascara on. You know, you get one of those like eyebrow curler things that looks like a medieval torture device. You know, you do, you do, you know, you put on the blush and you put on the Whatever else it is that you put on, like, you know, I mean, you, you, you go to Lowe's and you get a gallon of paint, you know, whatever you do. Um, <laughs> you get yourself all prettied up to go on a date with that guy. And then you get home, you go to bed, you wake up, and you look like, I don't know, you look like something off The Walking Dead. And you walk into the kitchen Get your big bowl of Lucky Charms and sit right in the middle of the living room and your brother's looking at you and he's like, you're ugly. <laughs> you know? Because here's the thing. We put on a show for other people, but our families know everything about us. They know the good. They know some of your cute qualities. They know the bad, as in how annoying you can be. And they know, they know the ugly. They know the things that you've done that are wrong and nobody else has done. You know, some of you didn't mean to be put in this position, but you're in this position. You're only 16 years old, you're only 13 years old, but you're kind of the spiritual leader in your home. 
Nobody else really cares. They may be Christians, but nobody else really cares. And you're the one they're looking to. You're the only one in your house who reads their Bible. Your family is watching you. And why is it? Why is it that we can go across the world to try to tell, tell an orphan about Jesus? But our family, our family who is watching our lives wants nothing to do with them. There's this principle that I was thinking about, and it's the closer you get to someone, the less your words matter and the more your life matters. Think about that. The closer you get to someone, the less your words matter and the more your life matters because they're looking at the way you lived your life. The final thing is my enemies are watching. E. By the way, my family, my family is watching us. First Peter 3, 1, where it talks about wives live in a way that even if your husbands don't believe, you can win them to Christ by your lifestyle. So you can win your parents to Christ by your lifestyle. You can win your brothers and sisters to Christ by your lifestyle. So that, that's possible. Uh, my enemies are watching. 1 Peter 3, 16. There's another one of those where this word is used. It says, keeping a clear conscience so those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. People want to see Christians fail. And you may have made some enemies just because of the fact that you identified yourself as a Christian. Prove them wrong. Prove them wrong by the way you live. They want to see you mess up, prove them wrong. They think you're a backstabber, prove them wrong. They think you're judgmental, prove them wrong. Your enemy, and I'm not just talking about ISIS enemies. i got a picture of ISIS up here. I'm talking about someone who's your ex-best friend, or I'm talking about someone who just doesn't like the way you look, however that is. Prove them wrong. So how do we let God transform our lives? I'm just going to have you write these down. I want you to think about these tonight. They're all S words. I'm hoping next week we'll have some F words. But they're all S words. And this S word, the first S word is separate. Um, this principle is laid out in where we started, Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4.22, where it says to put off your old self. If you want to let God transform your life, you've got to put off your old self. This Greek terminology, it has to do with laying aside an article of clothing. So some of you ladies, you, you're getting... You, when, you get, when you're trying to figure out what to wear to school, you've got more clothes laying on your bed than you do hanging in your, hanging in your um, um, closet because you've gone through, you're like, don't want that, don't want that, don't want that, right? It says set your old life aside. Do you realize that the Christian life is a series of choices, and it's a choice that you make every day? Jesus said pick, take up your cross daily and follow me. It's a choice you make every day. So every day you have to make a choice I'm going to lay aside my old life. I'm going to lay aside my sinful life and let God transform me. So you've got to set aside your old life. The next one is streaks. This is, this is a, term, a term you guys, you guys know very well, right? Streaks. Some of you, when um, you were on our mission trip, and, you, and we thought there may not be service or Wi-Fi where we were going to go, uh, some of you were so upset because you may lose out on your streaks. Musgrave. You may lose out on your, <laughs> I'm calling you out no. um, because you may lose out on your streaks. Because one thing, here's the funny thing about Snapchat has figured out a way to get everybody using their app every day. Because you're like, I can't, I, I can't let this streak die. We've had this going on for like 46 days, like two months. Like, I'm not going to let this die. I'm going I'm, I'm to get on Snapchat for, if nothing else, just to snap that one person I've got this long streak going on with. Here's a question. What if we were as faithful to the streak of reading our Bible as we were to the streaks on our Snapchat? That's why I say the Christian life is a decision that you make every day. 
And in this verse, it says you've got to put off the old, and then it says be made, in verse 23, be made new in the attitude of your minds. You know how you're made new in the attitude of your minds? It's by every day starting a streak with this book right here. How's your streak? How's your Bible streak? And the final S word, the final S word is spirit. You've got to make a choice. You set aside the old, you renew your mind, and then you allow the Holy Spirit to transform you. And here's the thing. I don't know where my big ball of nasty went. Um, where the, somebody stole my Play-Doh. Um, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. I can't separate this out. It would take a miracle, wouldn't it, to separate the pink out. But here's the good news. I know a guy who can do some miracles. And his name is God. And he can miraculously remove the bad remove the sin, and get you back to where you need to be with him. So separate streaks and spirit. Um, we're going we're gonna to pray. Uh, then we're going to put somebody in the middle, and we're going to get out of here. And I just want to point this out. This is going to be the third week in a row that I've got you out on time. <laughs> okay. Um, so... So we're going to pray. Um, let me pray for you guys, um, and, and then, we'll, then we'll do our circle, or we'll do our person in the middle. Uh, Father, thank you so much. Uh, we don't have to do this on our own. Um, God, there's nothing that, that irks us more than hypocrites, but then we remember that there are times where we fall into the trap of being hypocrites ourselves. So, Father, I pray that as, as your word was opened and as we talked about it, that, that it won't be something that we think somebody else needs to apply to their life, but, but that you'll really give us that good look in the mirror in our own spiritual lives and that we will apply it to our own spiritual lives, that we will weed out the hypocrisy in our lives, um, that will allow you to transform the way we are. Uh, I think most of us know what you expect from us, but it's just that get from point A to point B. So, Father, I pray that you will that you'll guide us and that you'll lead us to put ourselves in a position where you can change our lives. Because only you, God, only you can transform our lives, mold us into what you'd have us to be. And God, I pray that we'll live such good lives that people, even though they don't believe in you, will see our lives and they'll wanna know the reason for the hope and the change that lies within us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.